Welcome to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 35, as we follow along with today's lesson. Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And they went their way, and they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What does hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, And they went down, both of them, into the water. Notice that. It was not sprinkling the guy. (laughs) Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. But he went his way Rejoicing. Now, remember in Samaria, they were filled with joy. Now this man is going his way rejoicing. That's, that's just the response, the reaction that we have, that of joy in our hearts when the Lord has done a work in our lives. He went his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. Now Azotus is just north of Ashdod and south from Joppa. And passing through, he preached in all of the cities till he came to Caesarea. So he stopped in Joppa and and in all of the little cities on his way up to Caesarea. He finally settled in Caesarea. And uh, later on, when Paul is Coming to Jerusalem, he stops and he stays with Philip there in Caesarea. Uh, It became sort of uh, where he just settled down and lived. We don't read any more of the ministry of Philip in Caesarea. We do know that he had seven daughters who had the gifts of prophecy. So he was raising a spiritual family there. Uh, But nothing else is told of of his ministry uh, except that we know that he went to Caesarea. Now, later on in the next chapter, uh, Peter is going to be called to Joppa to pray for a lady who had died, whose name was Dorcas. And... uh, There was the church there in Joppa that called Peter. How is it that a church existed? Probably, if you look at the map from Azotus to Caesarea, he had to pass through Joppa. And he he was preaching in every one of of the villages all the way up, and no doubt establishing works for the Lord uh, that uh, went on. And so uh, it'll be interesting when we get to heaven and we get the full story. Uh, of Philip and uh, all that the Lord did through this man. 
uh, as uh, he was uh, used of God in, in the revival in Samaria uh, in such a powerful way. But the interesting thing is that he didn't stay in Samaria. God moved him on. And uh, God doesn't always leave a person in a place. God will have you there for a time. To a, when it's completed, then God will move you on, as he did with Philip. But then he finally came to Caesarea, where he did settle down and uh, raise his family and uh, continued active in the Christian circles. But to what extent, we really don't know. Uh, so uh, we move on now into chapter 9 where we uh, see Paul and we read of his conversion and uh, a very remarkable and wonderful thing and then Peter's visit uh, to Joppa and uh, then we'll take chapter 10, Peter taking the gospel to Caesarea to the, uh, and, and that's an interesting thing too. Peter taking the gospel to Caesarea uh, to the house of Cornelius uh, the centurion, and uh, you wonder, had Philip maybe not yet arrived in Caesarea uh, because uh, he had to send down to Joppa to get Peter to come on up. But a lot of interesting things. I, I love the book of Acts. It's, it's fascinating history of the early church and of the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. How we need today the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. It was a sad day when uh, men decided that the Holy Spirit was limited to the early apostolic period as far as miracles and healings and uh, empowering, that uh, it was just to give the early church impetus, a start, uh, sort of a jump start. Once uh, we got organized and all, uh, we then didn't need the Holy Spirit any longer because now we have seminaries and uh, other uh, institutions by which we can train men and we no longer need to depend upon the Spirit. What a tragic, sad thing. And it's reflected in the condition of the church. Uh, it's, it's exciting again to see uh, what God can do just through dedicated lives, uh, without formal education, but just with a zeal and a love for Jesus Christ, what the Lord can do. And God can use you. Don't limit God. He wants to use you. Just how he wants to use you is something that you need to determine. You need to wait upon God and seek God until God shows you just how he desires to use your life as a witness for Jesus Christ. And it's always a joy to see God work. Let's turn now in our Bibles to Acts chapter 9 as we continue our journey through the Bible. Slowly but surely we're getting there. And Saul, who we, of course, were 
introduced to back in chapter 7 as he was uh, watching the clothes of those who stoned Stephen. Again in chapter 8 we find that he was voting for his death and uh, he then began uh, a personal crusade to wipe out Christianity. And so Saul yet breathing out threatenings and murder against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest. Now, he was wrecking havoc of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, He was one of the leaders and instigators of the persecution of the church in Jerusalem that caused the believers to... uh, escape from Jerusalem and spread throughout all of Judea where they went everywhere preaching the word. Uh, Actually, uh, unwittingly, Paul was helping spread the gospel as he uh, caused the Christians to flee. But he is still not satisfied. He wants now uh, letters of... uh, authority from the high priest to go to Damascus and there if he can find any people who are of this way following Jesus that he might put them in prison. So he desired the letters from the high priest to Damascus that he might go to the synagogues that he found any of this way whether they were men or women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem bring them back in chains. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He tells us in another account later on that it was brighter than the noonday sun. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the goads. Interesting here how that Jesus so identifies himself with his church. When Jesus said, Why do you persecute me? Paul was persecuting the church. But Jesus so identifies with his church that any persecution of the church is persecution of Jesus. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, that I might serve you? I am Jesus whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. I do believe that when Stephen preached that magnificent sermon before the council of which Paul was a part, though Paul tried to close his ears to the truth that Stephen was declaring, that it was touching him, though he did not want it to do so. 
It raised questions in his mind. He was thoroughly schooled in the Hebrew scriptures. He recognized the things that Stephen was saying, recognized them to be true from his knowledge of the scriptures. But he was fighting against it. It is interesting how that many times those people who seem to be the hardest people to reach are the people who are actually the closest to receiving. The reason why they are so hard to reach is they are fighting a fierce inner battle. And so they react strongly against the truth because it's penetrating and they don't want it to. I believe that when Paul saw Stephen die and was participating in the stoning process in that he was watching the clothes of those who had stripped to throw the stones, that as he heard Stephen say, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge, that that had an effect upon him. To hear Stephen, to see Stephen's death, I believe that God had begun a work by the Holy Spirit that Paul was fighting against. And so Jesus said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, which he was doing. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, What will you have me to do? In the next chapter, as we read of Peter being called to go to the Gentiles with the gospel, the house of Cornelius in Caesarea, as the Lord is preparing Peter, breaking down some of the... um, prejudice that the Jew had against the Gentile. As the Lord had let down the sheet from heaven in the vision that Peter had, and the command of the Lord was, rise, Peter, kill and eat, he said, not so, Lord. And that is an inconsistent statement. You can't really say, not so, Lord, can you? You can say, not so, friend, Not so, hubby, but you can't say, not so, Lord. Paul has the correct response. What will you have me to do, Lord? And if you call Jesus Lord, that is correct. It isn't denying or or refusing to do, but it is, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, what the Lord said was very simple. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it will be told you what you're to do. So, again, how the Lord leads us one step at a time. The Lord didn't lay out everything that He had planned for Paul in the future. He just said, rise and go into the city. So 
The men that were journeying with him stood speechless because they heard a voice, but they saw no man. Now, later on, uh, we will be told that they didn't hear a voice, but uh, the difference in the Greek words is in the, uh, they didn't hear the, uh, they didn't under, they heard a noise, but they didn't understand the words. The Lord was speaking to Paul in Hebrew, and thus uh, they heard the noise, the, the, the sound, but they didn't understand what the Lord was saying to Saul, and they didn't see anybody. So they were amazed. They were standing there speechless. And Saul arose from the earth. And when he opened his eyes, he could see no man. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. Quite an experience. On his way to Damascus, breathing, and the Greek is heavy breath. You know, just threatening when I get a hold of those Christians, you know. And breathing out murders against the believers. But by the time he arrives in Damascus, he's blind, being led by the hand and, and a different man than the one who started out from Jerusalem, breathing out murders. And he was there for three days, without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. In the darkness of his blindness, he was there for three days. And I'm sure in his mind, there was a tremendous revolution taking place. He wasn't eating, he wasn't drinking, it was a it was a time of just uh, rethinking his whole philosophy, rethinking his whole religious background and beliefs. Paul writing to the Philippians some 30 years after this experience said that those things which were gained to me all of his background is a Jew. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, his circumcision, his uh, keeping of the law, his uh, following a rigid rule of the Pharisees and uh, excelling uh, in their religion above the others. All of those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's referring to this experience on the Damascus Road. There he came to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He was really one of the high priest fair-haired boys. He was out to do the will of the priest and he was out to make a mark for himself in stamping out this sect, these believers in Jesus. But when he came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, all of those things that he once prided himself in, he counted loss 
for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that in this three days of blindness and not eating, not drinking anything, just there, just a whole mental revolution taking place as God is readjusting the scriptures in his mind. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus. Now, notice he wasn't an apostle, nor was he a deacon. Uh, We've been told thus far in Acts, the ministry and the works of the apostles. And then for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the work and the ministry of the deacons. We saw how God used Stephen and how God used Philip, a couple of the deacons. Now we see God using just an ordinary disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. God does things this way so that we don't try to pattern God. God is showing that he can use anybody. And he is keeping us from trying to create little neat compartments where we might fit the work of God. He's always doing things in different ways so that we don't try to confine him to one particular pattern. Notice how Jesus in healing did things different ways. With the blind men, sometimes he just said, receive your sight, and they were able to see. With another, he made mud out of his spittle and put it in the guy's eye and said, go wash in the pool. And when he washed, he could see. So he did things in different ways so that we wouldn't try to pattern him. Paul tells us there are diversities of gifts and diversities of operations. And the Lord is showing us that he can use apostles, he can use deacons, and then he can just use us, ordinary people, to do his work. And so Ananias was just a disciple. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, and he said... I'm here, Lord. It's, I, I love the, the natural way by which uh, he was relating to the Lord and the Lord to him. I mean, it's just like a conversation. Ananias. Yeah, Lord, here I am. <laughs> and the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. Three days, three nights, he's praying. He's seeking the Lord. The street called Straight is still in Damascus. It runs the length of the city from east to west. It's one of the major streets in Damascus to the present day. Paul was there in the house of one called Judas, and Ananias is being directed from the Lord, go to the house of Judas on the street called Straight, 
Saul of Tarsus. Behold, the Lord said, he prayeth. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So while Paul was in this blinded condition in fasting and prayer, the Lord gave to Paul a vision of a man by the name of Ananias coming and praying for him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, are you sure? I've heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Now, this is the first time that the church is called saints. Uh, in the book of Matthew, it speaks about the saints of the Old Testament rising uh, their graves opened and they were seen walking in the streets of Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus. But now this term is applied to the church in Jerusalem. Um, as far as God is concerned, you who are followers and disciples of Jesus Christ are saints. Now, the Catholic Church may not recognize you, as such, but the Lord does. And you don't have to be canonized. If you're just a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ, St. Charles has a great ring to it. <laughs> Called to be saints, Paul said to the Corinthians. So the saints that are in Jerusalem, I've heard, man, this guy has wrecked havoc on the saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all of those who call on your name. Probably Ananias' name was on Paul's hit list. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Paul was to have a threefold ministry. Gentiles, kings, and to the children of Israel. Paul ministered unto King Agrippa. Paul ministered to Nero. When he appealed to Caesar, he was brought before Nero. But Paul also had a great ministry among the Gentiles as well as a ministry to the Jews. He is a chosen vessel unto me, God said. Paul was uniquely prepared by God for a ministry that would bridge between the Jewish and the Gentile communities, between the Hellenist and the Hebrews. Paul grew up in the city of Tarsus. It was a free Roman city uh, in that Paul was a Roman city, a citizen. And growing up in Tarsus was a city of strong Grecian culture. 
So the first 14 years of his life, though he was schooled in the scriptures by his father, and he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin, yet his playmates, the kids he grew up with, were all of the Grecian culture. So he was introduced and and he had the background of the Grecian culture. When he was 14, his father sent him to Jerusalem to further his education in the Hebrew university there under Gamaliel, where he became thoroughly schooled in the scriptures. Thus, knowing the Hebrew mind, knowing the law and the scriptures as a Pharisee, schooled under Gamaliel, he was able to talk to the Jews. But also, having grown up in the Grecian culture in his early years, he was able to relate to those of the Grecian culture. So God really sort of prepared Paul and was preparing Paul as he later said, I was separated from my mother's womb. God began the preparation very early in the life of Paul, preparing him for this particular specialized ministry that is going to cross cultural groups. So he was able to say, when I was in Rome, I was like the Romans. When I'm with the Jew, I'm like the Jews. I'm all things to all men that I might gain the more. He, he could fit into the Gentile culture. He could fit into the Hebrew culture. He was familiar with both, and God had chosen him that he might cross the cultural barriers and minister in a broad field of ministry, a chosen vessel unto me. And then an interesting thing, in verse 16, the Lord said, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, Paul does give a listing of the things that he suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ. Uh, the uh, beatings, the uh, imprisonments, the shipwrecks, the, uh, in, in the um, letter to the Corinthians. Uh, he, he speaks there of, of the great things that he suffered. Um, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, uh, as a fool, receive me, that I might boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it after not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in the confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I'll, I'll glory too. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing that you, you are so wise. For you suffer if a man brings you into bondage, if a man devours you, if a man takes from you, if a man exalts himself, if a man smites you on the face. I speak as concerning the reproach as though we have been weak, howbeit wherensoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. 
Are they Hebrews? You see, they'd come in and they were abusing the flock. And, and these people were holding them up. You know, great evangelist, does marveling. And, you know, and the guy was ripping them off and fleecing them. And so Paul is sort of, you know, rebuking them because of uh, they're receiving these wolves. And here he is, uh, you know, and, and they were putting Paul down. Well, you know, he wasn't really approved by the apostles in Jerusalem, all this kind of stuff. And so uh, he's sort of forced to uh, uh, share a little bit of what he's endured for the gospel's sake. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. Night and the day I've been in the deep. Uh, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in the perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, watching often, in hunger, thirst, fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without which comes on me daily the care of all the churches. Then he said, who is weak? I'm not weak. Who's offended? I don't burn. And if any man needs to glory, I will glory in the things which concern my weaknesses. But the Lord said, I'm going to show him. Do you suppose the Lord showed him all of these things? (laughs) Five times, Paul, you're going to get beaten 39 stripes, you know. You're going to be stoned. The Lord said, I'm going to show him the things that he is going to suffer for my sake. The amazing thing to me is that Paul went on. I mean, if the Lord had shown me that kind of a future, I think I would have uh, said, well, Lord, are there any alternative plans? (laughs) But the Lord said, I'm going to show him the things that he's going to suffer for my sake. And so Ananias went his way and he entered into the house And putting his hands on Paul, he said, Brother Saul, and and can you put yourself in Ananias' shoes for a minute? Here he is standing before the man who has authority from the priest to arrest him and all of those that uh, call upon the name of Jesus and to take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. And he looks at this fellow, Brother Saul, The Lord, even Jesus, who appeared to you in the way as you were coming, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, up until this point, as far as the record is concerned, The Holy Spirit was imparted to the believers by the ministry of the apostles. Even Philip, one of the deacons, uh, did not uh, administer uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, but when he had this great revival in Samaria, 
When the church in Jerusalem heard of it, they sent Peter and John. For as yet the Holy Spirit had not come upon them. And when Peter and John came, they laid their hands on them that they might receive uh, this empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, here is just a disciple, Ananias, who is sent to Paul to pray for the healing of the blindness and for Paul's receiving of the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened, and then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So, dramatic changes. Paul, I'm sure, still not fully comprehending or understanding what's going on. But he is there with the disciples in Damascus and immediately he began to preach the Messiah in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And all that heard him were amazed. And they said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And he's come hither for the intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? Isn't, the, isn't this the fellow that has come up here to destroy the Christian faith? But Saul increased more in strength, and he confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus because of his vast knowledge of the scriptures, his great working knowledge of the scriptures. They were confused, they were confounded because Paul was able to prove from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their ambush was known of Saul because they watched the gates of Damascus day and night intending to kill him. And so the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. So he had a rather inglorious entry being led, he was, he was blind, but in more inglorious departure, escaping over the wall in a basket uh, in order to uh, escape being ambushed by the Jews that were at the gate. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, now, between verses 25 and 26, there is a gap of about three years. Paul did not go immediately to Jerusalem upon leaving Damascus. But he went down to the area of Mount Sinai in Arabia. And there he was for almost three years as the Lord was readjusting his whole understanding of the scriptures. It was a time of solitude. It was a time of seeking God. It was a time of tremendous 
spiritual revelation. For God is going to be revealing unto him the marvelous grace of God apart from the law. And so this is revolutionary. Three years he's going to be there being instructed personally by the Lord, being taught. So as Paul is writing his letter to the Galatians, as he speaks of his conversion, he said, I did not go directly to Jerusalem, but I went to Arabia for three years. And there was taught by the Lord the things that Paul teaches in the epistles. And he said he didn't really receive anything from those. He wasn't taught by the founding fathers of the church, by the apostles in Jerusalem. And he said they didn't really add anything to me. Even as they had been three years with Jesus being taught as a group, Paul was with Jesus for three years alone, being personally tutored by the Lord in the scriptures. And so, after that, he returned to Damascus, and then he came down to Jerusalem. So between verses 25 and 26, there's about a three-year time gap. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were afraid of him. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. Not that fellow. We know him. No, and they probably thought he was some kind of a mole. Uh, but uh, Barnabas, the son of consolation, took him, and he brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that the Lord had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to kill him. <laughs> Poor Paul. I mean, it starts out in Damascus, they're trying to kill him. Now he gets to Jerusalem and the same thing uh, as he begins to dispute with them. It's, you know, it, it's a... It's a very good sign of your weak position when you cannot really argue it, but the only thing you can do is kill the person that is uh, arguing against you because you can't really, uh, you know, dispute what he's saying. So you just get angry and want to kill him. Uh, and that shows the irrationality of your position. So... When the brethren knew that there was this plot, they brought him down to Caesarea, and then they sent him forth to Tarsus. Go home, Paul. <laughs> and so Paul returned to Tarsus. And then had the churches rest throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, Paul 
spent the next seven years in Tarsus, making tents. It is interesting how that so often when a person comes to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they feel that they need to immediately enter the ministry and and begin to share with others that knowledge that they have gained through Jesus Christ. But it is interesting to me that though Paul had spent all of the years in his schooling in the scriptures in which God was preparing him, that even after his conversion, it was probably 10 years before he actually began his ministry. 10 further years of preparation. 10 further years of being taught of the Lord. This tremendous revolutionary change that is going on inside. Now, I don't say that you have to be 10 years in preparation. Surely God can take you and and begin to use you immediately. Uh, Paul's problem was that of having to relearn. It's always a slower process relearning than the process of learning. Because in relearning, you have to, first of all, unlearn a lot of the things that you once held and had and all. And so the relearning process is always slower. Now, we jump from Saul. He's safely tucked back in Tarsus for the next seven years. And uh, we turn again to Peter. It came to pass as Peter was passing throughout all of the quarters. He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. You who have flown into Israel, coming into the Ben-Gurion airport, you actually are coming into Lydda, this area where uh, Peter is now coming down from Jerusalem. And... uh, While there at Lydda, he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had been bedridden for eight years, and he was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Oh, what glorious anointing of God. As he speaks to this man a word of faith, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. A man who was bedridden for eight years. And so he arose immediately and all that dwelt in Lydda and Saron, they saw him and they turned to the Lord, a remarkable healing. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and she died. 
And so when they washed her body, they laid her in an upper chamber. And inasmuch as Lydda was very close to Joppa, and the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring that he would not delay to come to them. Hurry, Peter, come on down to Joppa. And then Peter arose, and he went with them. And when he was come, uh, they uh, brought him into the upper chamber, and all of the widows were standing by him weeping. And they were showing him all of the coats and the garments that Dorcas had made while she was with him. She was one of those special women Talented, a seamstress, could do anything. And, and she was always looking out for others, ministering to others. One of those precious saints. And, and so they were showing, you know, she made this little coat for little uh, Jacob, you know. And uh, all of the things that uh, she had made and done, they were sharing with Peter. Then Peter put them all forth. Uh, remember when Jesus was brought to the house of Jairus, uh, the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum, uh, whose little daughter, uh, Tabitha, had died. And uh, how that when he arrived at the house, all of the mourners were there and they were, you know, wailing and everything else. And Jesus said, cool it. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And, and they began to laugh him at him. They began to just were scornful. They were nasty. And Jesus said, get them out of here. And so they put them all out. And he took just Peter and John and the mother and father uh, of the little damsel. And he commanded her to rise. So Peter, uh, the same, put the other people out. Um, lest there be probably a spirit of unbelief and all that would hinder uh, the work that God was wanting to do. Uh, they were weeping and, and they were all into this and so they weren't ready for the, the miracle. Peter put them all forth and he knelt down and he prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Jesus said to the little damsel, Talitha Kumi. Peter said, Tabitha Kumi, very similar. Um, I can understand why he put the people out. I mean, if you're going to talk to a dead body, you don't want a lot of people around. They'll think that something's wrong with you. And so he, he put them all forth, and then he addresses this dead body. And uh, much like Jesus said, Lazarus, Come forth. He addressed the dead. So Peter addressed the dead. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Acts in our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the Gentile church. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Acts 8 through 9 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at the wordfortoday.org. 
If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you tonight for the work of your Holy Spirit in the early church. And Lord, we pray and seek you for the work of your Holy Spirit in your church today in a greater measure than we've ever seen before. Lord, we ask that we might be open to the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit to serve you in a more effective way. Lord, even as the Holy Spirit sovereignly dispensed to those in the early church the various gifts so, Lord, dispense to us those gifts of your Holy Spirit whereby we might have a stronger witness to the world of the resurrection of Jesus. Fill us, Lord, until it overflows like a river of living water. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Want to know how to gain wisdom from God? Then don't miss out on Wisdom for Today by Pastor Chuck Smith. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson. Growing up, I had the wonderful privilege of spending every morning with my dad. And every morning, he would impart to me just a little bit of God's wisdom. Now, you can have that same opportunity if you pick up my father's devotional, Wisdom for Today. It's a 365-day trip through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And each day ends with a special prayer incorporating what you learn into your heart. That's wisdom for today. I pray that you have a wonderful journey with my father. The gift of wisdom is priceless. Be sure to order Wisdom for Today by Pastor Chuck Smith as a gift for yourself or for a friend. Call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673. That's 1-800-272-9673. Or to read a sample, visit thewordfortoday.org.